Um, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 today. I hope uh, you'll join us on the Bible uh, with your uh, good old leather-bound or whatever version you have here. Um, or, uh, as the good Lord intended, uh, this guy. If not, and you're going against the way that God intended, go ahead and open the Bible app, uh, and you can uh, follow us on there. Go to Version, open the Version Bible app, uh, hit events, hit more, find new vintage, no, hit more, then events, then new vintage. There you go. It's on the screen next to you. Uh, and um, I just want to say I am so glad um, that 2020 is here. Uh, I have been praying about this year. I've been looking forward to this year. Having talked to a bunch of you, I know for a fact that you were happy to say goodbye to 2019. Uh, it was a rough year for you. And with each year, there comes fresh hope. And with each day comes fresh hope. Uh, and this sermon series is really a series about hope. Uh, and particularly hope for the future, because uh, regardless of where you've been, regardless of your past, regardless of even where you find yourself today, God is not done with you, uh, and your best days can be ahead, and that God wants to do something very special with you, wants to make your life uh, a masterpiece of his artistry. And so my hope is that uh, as we go about this series, that you're going to walk out of here today and each of these uh, weekend services going, man, I'm fired up. I'm ready to tackle this year. Uh, our church is going to have the greatest year in its history. I believe this is going to be a big, big year for New Vintage. Uh, and so I just want to say, come along for the ride. If you're uh, coming to our church for the first time today, or um, maybe it's your first time back in quite some time, you know, we don't, we don't have very long time left in this building for sure. Um, and, and we've got some big things coming that we'll be rolling out over the course of January. So make it a point to be here. Uh, if you have important plans, whatever they are, it's, it's not as important as being here. So cancel them, get rid of them, uh, and uh, bring, bring all your people that you were going to hang out with in your other plans here instead. So there we go. Uh, 20 years ago, the year was 2000, we had partied like it was 1999, as Prince sang about. And everybody was terrified of Y2K. Y2K, the biggest fraud probably in the history of media panics uh, was sent out, and the idea was that because all the computer systems were set to kind of two zeros, you may remember on your checks, you would even fill out 96 or, you know, 11, 22, 97 or something like that, that when it went to zero, zero, uh, computers weren't invented back in the zero, zero age, and they were only formatted for zero, zero, so when we did it, all the computers in the world would crash, uh, you know, uh, nuclear reactors would melt down, um, and on and on and on and on it went, and, and so New Year's Eve came, uh, and the world, as we know it, is still here, very much alive. This week, we had the hashtag World War III hashtag making its way around. Uh, we've had Area 51 make its rounds. Uh, the hashtag has really become the place where you do panic. Uh, it has become the definitive way that uh, you let everybody know that the world, as we know it, is about to end. And that there is no hope for the future. We're all doomed. You do it through the hashtag now. Some of you old people will call it pound. It's not a pound. It's a hashtag, okay? So uh, it's funny. We'll pull up to a neighborhood with a gated, uh, and it, well, what's the gate code? My kids will say hashtag like 3325, and I'll say pound 3325. So I'll out myself there. So I have a couple of pieces of news to you about the future. Uh, we live in a world with a scorching case of emotional hypochondria, fanned into flame by those who seek clicks and eyeballs, and it can paint an extremely bleak view of the future, especially if we don't know what's coming. So the bad news I have for you this morning is 
uh, you cannot definitively know everything there is to know about the future. That's bad news. In some ways, it's good news, if you ask me. But most of us would consider that bad news. Now, the good news is there are some things that we can be certain of, and um, no matter one of those things is that no matter what actually happens, God will see us through. Now, this series, I did one last summer called Ready for Anything. Those of you who are here, when it really the fundamental job of the Christian is not really to know the future. It is to be ready for whatever the future brings. Uh, so if you're interested in that kind of thing, you can go back and listen to those. This is actually going to be about how do we take a look at the future with hope? How can we actually recognize what might be coming down the pike? Uh, and then to come up with a plan for how we can capture the future that God has intended for us. So you'll notice that many of our beloved stories out there uh, are very futuristic. And the idea is if you just follow this path, it will lead to good things. Uh, Dorothy is told, follow the what? The yellow brick road, okay? Uh, Hansel and Gretel are told to leave breadcrumbs behind them so that they can kind of find their way back. Kind of an interesting thing, but then the birds come, they eat all the breadcrumbs, and they have no idea where they are. Frodo is supposed to go take the ring and destroy it at Modor. Mordor. Mordor? Mordor. Mordor. I was going to say, I said it, Modor. I was like, what's Modor? Mordor. Uh, but everywhere that he and Sam go, they get more and more lost. And there's this sense of, okay, we're just going to go out there and we're going to take this great adventure uh, and that we'll always know more as time goes on. That we're always getting smarter, our knowledge is getting sharper, and that just isn't borne out by history. Uh, that doesn't mean we can't know anything. Scripture gives us some powerful verses that we're going to read in Hebrews 11, just verses 1 and 2, can change your life. But our ability to see around corners, in some ways, will begin to determine our ability to prosper in life and faith. There are some people in the world who have a very uh, weak sense of the future. They're like bad boxers who get punched and then duck. They're supposed to duck first, and they are constantly being surprised by things. Man, who could have seen that coming, whereas everybody saw it coming? I had no idea that if you did that, that would happen. Everybody knows that if you do that, that would happen. And there are reasons why they're unable to duck as the swing takes place, and they often do it after they hit the mat. And it's because they're unable to see around corners. That thing that's coming next. Uh, that thing that you get through the eyes of faith. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. Here we go. Now faith is the assurance, you can underline that word, the assurance of things hoped for. Well, if it's hoped for, then it's not sure, is it? Well, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. So you got, two, you got the people of old, they received their commendation, the attaboys, girls, for being heroes of the faith because they were, by faith, sure of what they had hoped for. They were sure they, that the things that God had promised them and what they had hoped for had, would come to pass. So right after this, they will go through this long chapter of just heroes of the faith and how this was born out in their lives. You see Abel, 
uh, you see Abraham. You see all sorts of people featured in there. By faith, so-and-so did this and this happened. By faith, so-and-so did this and this happened. There's a sequential side to this that basically the Bible's trajectory and jet stream of thought on the issue of the future is our job is to be prepared for anything and walk by faith. And as we walk by faith, and how do you define that? Well, there you go. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, that when God tells me, if you do this, this is going to happen, that as I take those steps, that I can actually know what might be coming down the, down the pike, down the future. So I'm going to give you four things today, a little tips that the Bible gives us about seeing around corners and looking at the future. And I hope that you'll walk out of here more hopeful today. Uh, number one is this, read the writing on the wall. Daniel chapter 5, there's King Belshazzar, he's sitting there, he's got a big old feast going, big old, it wasn't a Christmas dinner, but we'll call it that, it's just a big banquet, everybody's there, everybody's gathered, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a big hand appears and writes on his wall, right in the middle of the dinner. I've never had that happen. You may not have either, but if it does, please let me know. Uh, what the hand writes, he can't make out. So they go find this guy who's been known to be able to interpret things. His name's Daniel. Daniel comes in and says, hey, Belshazzar, I can read what's on the wall. He tells him, basically, your kingdom, as you know it, is over. And instead of doing it, we'll come back to Belshazzar in a second, instead of him going, well, hang him and shooting the messenger, whatever uh, metaphor you want to use, he simply says, thank you for telling me the truth. And he says, get him a robe. Let's honor this man because he told me what the hand writing on the wall said. The writing on the wall is what God is saying is going to happen. It's what he's already written down. Let's say something like this, a little, little popular novella we call the Bible. You, you want to know what's going to happen in the future, you start with the revealed will of God. What he's already said is going to happen. When your bank says or your credit card company says, your payment is due by this. If you don't get it in by here, we are going to charge you a late fee. You believe them. And if you don't, you should. <laughs> right? You believe what they say. Uh, you believe what time the movie theater says the movie will start. You believe a lot of things that people just publish, and they say, this is what's going to happen at what time. You probably showed up because at some point you read that there was going to be a church service here at the California Center for the Arts at 10 o'clock. And lo and behold, here we are. It was more like 10.06, not 10. But hey, well, here we are. You know what's going to happen because it was written. You believe in what was going to happen because it was written down. And you showed up and lo and behold, it happened. You start with the writing on the wall. Okay, we are far better informed today than the people were in the, in the days of Belshazzar. We've been warned, we've been given clear directions about proper relationship to God, that God himself has given us a direct message through his word. You start with the Bible. You start with scripture. What has God said is going to come to pass? Uh, regarding my own life, what has God promised me about my life? What has God told me? If you do this, this is going to happen. Because God, his word, is more certain than any other fact in the universe. We're going to read in a second. Okay. It can't be changed if he wills it to happen. 
So the most unchangeable facts in the world are the declarations of God. The one who reigns over the entire universe, who holds the sun in the palm of his hand, who the mountain trembles when they hear the sound of his voice, that one is the one who holds the future in his hand. So you then you start by reading the writing on the wall. You may remember uh, the tragic story of the rich man and Lazarus in uh, the New Testament. Luke chapter 16, it's, uh, you got a rich man, he's basically burning in hell, and Lazarus, the poor guy, is up in heaven and enjoying himself. And the rich man is trying to get Lazarus' attention. And so the rich man is crying out, asking Lazarus to just put a little bit of water on his tongue because he's in pain and anguish. And good old Abe is there to purgate Abraham. And he said, no, nope, that's not going to happen. And then we have this, um, he says, well, then can you at least get him to go warn my family? Do you remember what he says? <laughs> there we go. Somebody's read it. They have Moses and the prophets. And they didn't believe them. Why do you think they're going to believe you? He's saying, you didn't read the writing on the wall. God's been telling you this from the beginning. He told you there was going to be a Messiah that was to come. He told you to honor the poor, for instance, in the case of Lazarus. You take care of the poor. You're mindful of the poor. That you put God first. That you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. All these things. I just wish God would give me a sense of direction for my life. I have no idea. Read the writing on the wall. If you want to know what your future ought to hold, read the writing on the wall. Don't spend your time, sisters and brothers, looking for God's unrevealed will without looking at what he's already revealed to us by faith. If God promised it, it will come to pass. Now, there was a little invention that we used to do, a craft in uh, middle school, elementary school, somewhere in there. You got like a cardboard tube, and you used to cut the ends off if they weren't already open, and you'd put mirrors in there. You remember? I couldn't remember what it was called. I thought it was a cardboard thing with mirrors in it. It was what it was called. It was called a periscope. So here you go. This is one. And, and I remember the day that we first built these in class. I mean, my mind was blown. You mean to tell me that if I look in there, I can see what goes out of there? Yeah, because it's mirror to mirror to mirror, and you can see out. That's how you see around corners. You also can use it for this. Pretty handy in times of war, too. Uh, we have a, a former submarine commander in this church. And I got to go tour the submarine, and I got to see my little nine-year-old look in the, the periscope. But to come in handy, to be underneath the water, it allows you to see up over the water's surface and be able to, to see what's going on. In a sense, the Bible, described as a mirror in the Bible, <laughs> the Bible describes itself as a mirror in the Bible, is a kind of mirror that allows you to see what's around the corner. So picture like if you had... If I had the time, I would build some sort of cardboard weird contraption, and I'd tape a, a mirror to the front of the Bible. And you'd look through the tube, you would see that, and you would see up there. The scripture talks about this as a mirror in the sense of me looking into the mirror and seeing what I actually look like. It tells me the truth. It also reflects what's going on out there. So when I'm reading the newspaper, when I'm doing whatever, I look at it through the eyes of faith. 
I don't look at it. This helps me see everything else going on in the world through the eyes of faith. And so whether I am using it as a, an art project, essentially, to just kind of see and be curious about what's going on in the world, or whether I'm in the spiritual battle or war of my life, it helps me see what's above the surface or below the surface. And it starts with, if you will, reading the writing that's on the wall. Now, number two, open your eyes and uncover your ears. Don't be that guy or gal. Who's that? The person who refuses to read the writing on the wall or doesn't want to hear what God has to say in his word. Are there such people? Of course there are. You know, they're the kind of people that avoid certain parts of the Bible itself because they don't like what it says. They avoid going to church because they don't want to be challenged. Or they just change churches until somebody tells them what they want to hear. They're not interested in seeing the writing on the wall. They're interested in writing on the wall. See the difference? So if you want to actually learn the truth of God, you have to read the writing on the wall, but you also have to then uncover your eyes and uncover your ears. If you're looking for a good biblical example, our good man Pharaoh, it comes to mind. Here he is, Moses walks in, Pharaoh, the Lord has spoken, let my people go. Pharaoh says, they're good, we're fine, no thank you. Moses says, are you sure? Yes, he hardens his heart, next thing you know, and he tries it all. He shows him the bag of tricks, takes his rod, throws it down on the ground, turns it into a snake. He has his own magicians do it. So he's like, ah, my guys can do that too, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? The Nile turns to blood. Let my people go. Nah, we're good. Hey, how about this? And he plague after plague after plague. He's so stubborn of heart, he's doing the equivalent of la, 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 la. He's choosing not to see what is plain as day in front of him that everybody else can see. His own people are explaining to him, you know, maybe we ought to let him go. I mean, the frog, not that I don't love frogs and gnats and blood in my water and uh, the sun, you know, blocked out and all that. It's been great, Pharaoh, but just the thought, maybe we could consider Leonard or some of them or no way. Because his ego was so big, it covered his eyes. He couldn't hear, couldn't hear what God had to say and didn't really want to hear what God had to say. Even after he lets the people go. You remember what happens? They go to the, he chases them down after the fact. After the firstborn of his whole country is dead, including his own son, he takes off after him. He still didn't get it. So if you really want to see what's around the corner, you begin with the writing on the wall, and then once you recognize, hey, that's writing on the wall, you take your blinders off. You open your ears. And you say, I'm going to accept what God has to teach me or what he's calling me to. Or if he wants me to repent, I accept that as his grace, not as something I need to avoid. Uh, there are tons of examples of this in the business world. Uh, let, me give you, let me give you a few because they're, they're funny, especially at this time where we're kind of moving out into a new decade to look back at the previous decade or two and go, man. How foolish. Anybody remember Rand McNally? Oh, yeah. They used to make the maps, those paper maps. You'd, you'd go on a road trip at Christmas time or whatever. You always had your map, and you'd map out your little route on the, on the thing. Okay, I don't even know if you can find them anymore. I'm prob you probably can somewhere. Here's what he says. This is 2006, and people are coming to him during the middle of the digital revolution and saying, hey, do, are you concerned that maybe all maps are going to move to people's phones or computers? Here's what he says. 
Anyone who thinks old-fashioned folded maps are going away should think again. It's kind of like saying newspapers are going to disappear. There's going to be some changes in how they're used, but people still want to open them and read them with their coffee. Same thing with trip planning. People will continue uh, to want to be able to consume maps this way, even if they use handheld maps or atlases together with the handheld devices or the Internet. A year later, they were acquired, and they were no more in the map-making business. Uh, there are, are interviews online with the founder of BlackBerry. Anybody want to raise their hand and admit they had one? I had one. I had a BlackBerry. Okay, there's like three of you that are honest. Everybody had Blackberries back when those things came on. And they were great because they had an actual keyboard on it. And what he goes on to say is he, he has this total uh, feeling of invincibility. Okay, and this is in 2008, the iPhone just, had just been released. And so both he and Steve Ballmer, the president of Microsoft at the time, they asked him, are you concerned about the iPhone? Ballmer laughs out loud in the video, it's uh, linked to in the YouVersion Bible app, you can watch it yourself, and he goes, $500 for a phone? Nobody's going to pay $500 for a phone. Man, if you could get a phone for $500 now, wouldn't you take it? I mean, that's a pretty good deal on a phone now. But we found out people pay $1,000 for a phone. You know, you just finance anything and people will buy it. You can charge 2000 just to offer them at 0% interest, they'll buy it. You know? Now people, it's their life, their maps are there. You do the whole thing out of your pocket. Nobody saw that coming, or did they? Everybody saw it coming. La, 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 la. He, he could have seen it in the fact that nobody was buying paper maps anymore. He could have seen it in the fact that his own employees weren't using his own maps he could have seen it. He chose not to. He went, la, 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 la. So, I say this with grace and love in my heart, sisters and brothers. Many of us in here, okay, are not walking around in the dark, shadow boxing about the future because we have no idea what's happening. It's because we choose to do our exploration with a blindfold on and earplugs in. We don't want to hear that we're supposed to change. We don't want to hear that God wants us to commit ourselves to something greater than ourselves. We don't want to hear that. And so it's just easier to either ignore the writing on the wall or stare at it with a blindfold on so that you don't have to hear what God is actually trying to say to you. There was a, there was, I mean, Reed Hastings, the, the original founding CEO of Netflix, goes to Blockbuster Video. Raise your hand if you remember Blockbuster Video. Okay. All right. Anybody under 20 has never even heard of it, probably. All right. But that was one of the single greatest moments of my life as a kid, was going to a Blockbuster Video and going into this heaven with walls of videos. But eventually, somebody realized, you know what stinks? What stinks is going in, driving all the way across town to find out they don't have your video. You know what? It stinks to... Uh, go in there, and then if you take it back a day late, they charge you $4. Right. And so he sat down and he goes, you know, what if we just send it to them in the mail? They can get it back whenever they wanted to. So he starts a little company called Netflix. So they interview the Blockbuster president. He says, it's a tiny niche business. He was offered and allowed to buy it for $50 million at the time. It's worth $125 billion now. Oops. Missed a good deal there. 
Uncle Blockbuster. Meanwhile, they got one store left in Bend, Oregon. That's it. Now, you could go all the way through Scripture and watch people blow through stop sign after stop sign after stop sign. Don't do that. If you do that, don't you think this is going to happen? Cain and Abel. Let's go back to the Adam and Eve. Don't eat of the tree. I just wish God would tell us which tree to eat from. <laughs> don't eat from the tree. Cain and Abel. A Cain, don't you think I'd be pleased with your sacrifice if you offered me your first fruits instead of your garbage? And so what does Cain do? Okay, I'll go offer you my first fruits. No, I'm going to murder my brother. We've been living like that ever since, people. So as far as mapping out a healthy 2020, start by looking at what God's already said. Blinders off, ears open, Amen. with a heart of obedience. Number three, see and hear with your faith. What do we mean here? This goes back to Hebrews 1, 1, or 11, 1 and 2. We're seeing and hearing with the eyes of faith. What it means is when I look at something, I'm not always just following the empirical data. I'm using the writing on the wall. I'm using the mirror to interpret what I see. The kingdom of God is like this, Jesus said. Holds up a little seed in his hand. It's like this little mustard seed, not very impressive to look at, but when it's fully grown, it's the most prestigious, the most flourishing of all the garden plants. He sees it through the eyes of faith. Look at this kid, isn't he the carpenter's son? They said of Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, no, when you're not seeing with the eyes of faith, probably not. You remember that one occasion Multitudes scattered on hills, all starving. Tum stomachs are grumbling. They show up with a little bag of groceries. This is all we have. Jesus says, well, feed the people. We can't feed them with this. He says, feed them. Because Jesus is looking at the bag of groceries through the eyes of faith. They're looking at it as a bag of groceries. So they're not going la, 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 la. They're not failing to see the writing on the wall. But they're not seeing it through the eyes of faith. Do you think that most of the kings that were brought down by the mighty hand of God, the bad kings, that anybody saw that coming? Well, the people that listened to the word of God, people like Elijah, knew. Once God says it, it will happen. And so when you see the future through the eyes of faith, this is good news, sisters and brothers, it really is. It's not if you're living in rebellion against God, it's not good news. But if you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit of God, it's great news. It's amazing news. And whatever today's forecast looks like for you, look at it through the eyes of faith. That the one who brought you this far will bring you all the way home if you keep following. Lastly, if God promised it, it will happen. Revelation 3.7. We often look at a book called Revelation as though everything's hidden. It's called Revelation. It's meant to reveal. He writes to the church at Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, these are the words of Jesus. The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Leave that up there for a second, Warren. Who has the key of David, 
opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. That's who God is. If you want a good description of God, it means that he determines what's going to happen. And if he says, for instance, that man or woman is free, then as the scripture says, then they are free indeed. You can't take them back as a slave if God's declared them free. You can't shut what God has opened, and you can't open what he said is shut. So when you read promises of the Bible, the surest things you will ever hear uttered are whatever those are, okay? More sure than that the earth is round or that the sun is doing its thing or whatever. Sure, it will happen. I can't stop it, and you can't stop it. That's his point here in Revelation 3, 7. Write the words of the Holy One, the True One. Listen to how God's described there. The Holy One, the True One, one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. His promises are the future we can trust. His promises are the future we can trust. He's given us everything we need for life around the corners, and in the event we miss it, as long as we're wearing the right stuff, the full armor of God will be, will be okay. I want to take you to one of the great battles going on in our world today. I'm talking, of course, about the Rock, Paper, Scissors Championship that goes on every year. So there really is a Rock, Paper, Scissors Championship. Now, I, I learned at Paper, Scissors, Rock, but I guess everybody calls it Rock, Paper, Scissors. They're wrong. But in that particular case, you've got male, female, they're in the semis here. Now, I didn't know that there was such skill involved here. I thought it was just simply a matter of chance. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that you can do that and that you would, you just sit there and you do it and, and it's just chance. But it's not true. There's a whole bunch of psychological warfare that goes on before they throw down. Uh, it's filled with innuendo. Like, for instance, somebody might come up and plant the seed in their opponent's head by saying, all right, let's roll. Planting the, the rock in their head, right? But then the question the person has to ask is, are they saying that because they want me to throw rock or because they expect me to throw rock and, I'm, and, and then they don't want me to throw rock? They're, this is like a, a weird Jedi mind trick. And they sit down and they, <laughs> they do this whole this whole warfare, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But in reality, for most of us, it's just a game of chance. We say rock smashes scissors and scissors cuts paper and paper does this. So here's what life feels like to a lot of people is they get up in the morning, they go about their life, and they go, and Satan like throws rock on them, boom. And they go, oh, what bad luck. Now, I'm not saying that everything that happens, there's a difference between it without opening up like 2,000 years of church theological corals. uh, There is a difference between God divinely willing something to happen versus uh, God's providence or God's uh, sovereignty over what happens and his knowledge of what's going to happen. But, When we do this, wouldn't it be nice to know that almost whatever we throw is able to beat whatever the other guy throws? Like, why didn't somebody invent a fourth thing? 
You know, that thing that basically means I can smash the scissors. I can, I can, I don't know, wad up and throw the paper or set it on fire or something. Or like, why wasn't there like a fourth? Who determined you only have three things? And that they only work in this combination. I, I read back through Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul talks about us being in a battle. God's given us a periscope, if you will be able to see over the surface. And then he says, you got to put on the full armor of God. You got a helmet, you got a breastplate, you got a belt, you got a sword. And it, I think it's God's way of trying to tell us that whatever you're involved in and whenever, whenever this is going on, and it's you and the devil, or it's you and your, your problems, or it's you and your, you know, whatever, that, that he's equipped you to throw whatever you need to throw to be victorious. That Satan can't really cut you to pieces. As long as you're wearing that. The breastplate, the belt, the helmet. The sword. That going into life with those things makes the future a little bit different. So there is the ability to kind of see around the corner and see up above the surface. But there's also the I'm ready for whatever God sends my way. Whatever is around the corner, and if I can't see it, that's okay. You know, life sometimes is like that. It's like one of those, you know, action movies or drama movies or sci-fi movies where the guy gets to the, the gate of the city and you can hear the thing, whatever it is, on the other side of the door, banging and scratching and hissing on the other side of the, of the gate. And that's how it feels. It's God's way of saying, look, if you missed it and you don't know what's over there, just know that I've given you everything that you need for that battle, whatever it is. I don't know about you, uh, but that excites me. If you're equipped with the full armor of God, you know that whatever is around the corner is beatable, and that should be okay. Psalm 32, 8 gives us this promise. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And so, sister and brother, go forward from this place and walk in victory. Walk in victory. Know that your heavenly Father has given you what you need. Okay, read the writing on the wall. No blinders. And, and you know, when you see it, embrace it, believe it to be true with your faith. And then understand that if God said it, it will happen. So your security in eternity is secure. Satan can't run and grab it out of his hand. Walk in that. Believe in it. Go out knowing that whatever this year holds for you. You probably came into 19 with the same. Most of us have the same stinking resolutions every year. Can we just get that on the table? And we never, we never, we never hit them all. And that's why we keep doing this brutal exercise every single year. But let's just say... At this year, maybe it's not just about the resolution. It's walking in hope. It's walking knowing that whatever comes my way, I'm ready. And I am going to invest my year in trying to read the writing on the wall and to go, okay, God, what would you have me to do? I'm going to keep my Bible open. I'm going to hear the testimony of God's people. I'm going to spend time talking to God and listening to God in prayer. 
I'm willing to, by faith, walk in what God has already revealed instead of walking around pretending like I've never heard God speak at all. I'm going to look, I'm going to read, I'm going to embrace, and I'm going to walk, knowing that whatever comes my way, he will instruct me and teach me in the way I should go, and that his counsel uh, will come to me with his eye upon me. So this time we're going to take the Lord's Supper. I'd like to ask those who are going to be serving to go ahead and take their spots. And um, as we do, I want to remember Jesus Christ, the one who was so good at helping his disciples see with the eyes of faith, whether it was the mustard seed, the kingdom of God is like this, or whether it was um, the embodiment of what it means to, to walk faithfully in the eyes of God, to have the word of God impressed firmly on your heart in both content and meaning. And so now as we do this, when you take this, we, we, we take this every week here at New Vintage, it's bread and cup, which symbolizes the bread. The bread symbolizes his body. The cup uh, symbolizes his blood that was shed for you. And the promise that he makes in, um, that we celebrate here in communion is that his, his death atones for our sin. And so we celebrate that now, uh, our freedom and our liberation from our sins. Let's pray.